0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca You can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 as we continue on in our series here. Um, over the last two Sundays, we've been looking at Isaiah 53. We've been working through it, and it is the series we've been calling it, Man of Sorrows. And it is a story. It is the prophecies. We see detailed prophecies about the life of Jesus Christ. And we see these detailed prophecies that were written 700 years before Christ was even born remember what we did remember what we did a few weeks ago we had isaiah over here and and we said this is when isaiah wrote then 700 years later when christ was born but this psalm or this this song from isaiah 53 was written here way on this end, right before the return of Christ. It was written to all who would live, all who would believe. This is the story of truth. This is the story of the suffering servant, the story of Jesus and what he has done and what he is um, still yet to do. And so we are um, celebrating this, and, and we see in the New Testament, we see right at this time, remember, started over there, see at this time that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that we've been working through here, 100% accurate, complete, that's what he fulfilled, that is what he did. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are over 365, but, but bang on, 365, one for every day, a prophecy about a detailed prophecy about Jesus about what he would do about his life here on earth where he would be born it was actually prophesied that he would be crucified on a tree crucified on a cross even before they used crucif- crucifixion as a form of capital punishment this is what the bible speaks of and so we have these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled 100% and we see them here in Isaiah 53 Warren Worsby, a a Bible teacher, pastor, author, kind of broke down Isaiah 53 in these different ways. And you may want to jot this down because it's a great way to remember Isaiah 53. Uh, First of all, the rejection. We see the rejection of the servant, how he was despised, how he was hated. But then we also see the redemption, how how he was the Lamb of God in my place, in your place, how the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, the wrongdoing, the, the iniquities of us all. Then we see his resignation, and and that's what Keith spoke on last week how quietly, how humbly he went to the cross for us. He resigned himself to death on the cross. But then we see the reward, and that's what we're going to get into here today. All of this that happened to Jesus was all part of his plan, it was part of the plan of God before the creation of the world. From the celebration that we were reading about earlier uh, on palm sunday as we celebrate palm sunday today is that people were yelling and they were praising and they were saying hosanna our king has come and he is going to change things he's going to make life so much better for us economically and socially oh we can't wait for jesus to be the king and 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 they were so excited about all that he had been doing and and all that was yet to come and And then shortly afterwards, within a few days, the crowds were yelling, not Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds were yelling, crucify him. And why were they doing that? Because Jesus didn't seem to be delivering on what they were hoping. Jesus was a threat. Jesus wasn't giving them their best life now. Instead, it was going to be a tough road and, and it wasn't... He wasn't delivering what, what they had been hoping or what they thought he was promising. They got it all wrong. And, and we see that even today that people, we see that in First in Timothy. Paul experienced that with Demas in First Timothy, Timothy chapter 4 when, when it says, Demas loved the world too much. Demas was in for a while. He was checking it out. He was checking out the claims of God. But when it did, didn't deliver his best life or deliver what he wanted, he got his eyes on other things. He got distracted and he turned away. And we see that today and we can experience that there are so many different things that pull us away into wrong teaching into wrong understanding and if christ doesn't deliver what we hope we just try something else here we see that hours after his arrest he was beaten he was mocked and he was put on a cross like a criminal the cross that we're going to focus in on friday Friday at one in the afternoon. It was awful, it was disgusting, it was excruciating. In fact, the, the word that we have in our English language, uh, the, the Latin form of that actually means from the cross. When you hear the word excruciating, it means from the cross, it, it was excruciating. And it was beyond what we could ever imagine, and Christ suffered that for us. But it was all part of God's sovereign plan. And now, listen to this, folks, and I need you to listen carefully. If you don't hear anything else here, this is very important because it kind of sets where we're going here this morning. This is very important. Everything, 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 everything that has happened, that is happening or will happen in your life, is all part of God's sovereign plan for you. Yes, God has given us a free will to make decisions and choices. And all of those carry certain consequences, good and bad. And yet, all of it has been father-filtered. God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. God isn't like when the things happen in your life that aren't good, that, aren't, that you don't necessarily like or are devastating and hard. It's not like God's like, whoops, you know, got a little busy over there in the Middle East. There's a few things going on with Israel and Iraq, you know, and whoops, kind of forgot. It's not like he, he's forgotten about you. It's not like you know he, he he took his eyes off you for a little bit and is like okay let's let's see what kind of you know what we have to do here no not at all God God's fully aware of everything that has happened in our life that is happening and that will happen He's sovereign He's in control Charles Spurgeon a great pastor from uh, a long time ago he wrote this He who counts the stars and calls them by their name is is in no danger of forgetting his own children. Have you ever been outside on a starry night and you've seen the stars? Yeah, he knows everyone by name. Every one of his stars. He knows everything about us. He loves us. He cares for us. He has a plan and a purpose in all things. But the question is, how have we in the past? How are we right now in the present? And how will we in the future respond to God's plan his good and his perfect plan in our lives. Sometimes you may say, well what's happening in my life, what's just recently happened or what I've gone through, there's no good, there's no perfection in that. What is the good of what what has happened? This is why we continue to keep looking at Christ. Hurts, griefs, confusions, questions will come our way. This is why we look to Isaiah 53. This is why we look to the suffering servant and to what he experienced, what he faced the Lamb of God. Let's learn from him this morning. That's why the writer of Hebrews 12 too, and all throughout we continually keep saying, get your eyes on Jesus. Get him off the circumstances and, and allow those to overwhelm you and to confuse you. Get your eyes back on Jesus and that's what we're gonna do here today. Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God we are to look at him we see how Jesus endured the worst so you and I could experience God's best he endured the worst so we could experience God's blessing in our lives this is the amazing grace that we sing about the purpose First of all, as we look here, and we're going to pick this up in, 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 um, in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, the first thing we see here is the purpose of Christ's humiliation. Look at this in verse 10. You can follow along in your Bibles. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, he has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Who is ultimately responsible for the death of Jesus? Who's ultimately responsible? God is responsible for the death of his son. We think it's us, we might think it's our sin. No, God's responsible. This passage here in Isaiah is making it very clear that God did this, God allowed it to happen verse 10, it says, yet it was the will of God. King James New American Standard Version says, it pleased the Lord to crush him. That's, that's crazy words that, that we hear, that it was the will of the Lord to crush his own son. I love my son very much. There's no way on this earth that I would allow him to be crushed. No, take no offense to this, but I'd I would not allow him to be crushed for any of you. I, 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 I just couldn't go there. But God did. He allowed his one and only son to be crushed for you and for me. Even in verse 6, even if you look up there, as, as we looked earlier in this series, that it, it was the Lord that laid on him the iniquity of us all. God did this. God is the author. God is the one that's in control. Oh, yes, it was the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders and the soldiers that, that did their work. It was them that, that, that spit upon him and mocked him and scourged him and, and, and insulted him and drove nails into his hands and into his feet. It was the mob that was yelling. While men were doing their worst, the Lord was doing something even more horrific to his own son. The men were doing their worst to the Lamb of God so that God could do his best for us as sinners. The wicked men could accomplish their evil deeds only as the sovereign God allowed them to. He allowed it all to happen. Yet it says here, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. This isn't just talking about being sadness when we think of the word grief, you know, or, or the grief that we experience in life. Sometimes you might hear a parent say, oh, you kids, you just caused me so much grief. Teenagers these days, oh, they just caused me so much grief. Or, or we think of the word grief when, when we're filled with sorrow because of a loved one who has passed away or we've received some very bad news and, 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 and we're, we're grieving and we're sad. This word is much more powerful than meaning here as Isaiah writes this. This is not just talking sadness. This is is much deeper than that. Instead, this means excruciating experience as to completely debilitate a person's entire being. God not only crushes him, but he makes it as painful as possible for his son. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he do it? Why would he do it? Easy. Short answer, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave, he crushed, he put to grief his one and only son that whoever believes, not just a head knowledge, but that word believes, whoever believes, which means clings to, relies on, trusts in, whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. This was the extent of the love that God showed to us as His creation. This is the love that He extended to us. This is redeeming love. Remember, Jesus' death was not a martyr's death. Jesus did not die as a martyr. When you read the accounts from centuries ago, you read about it in Acts 7 when Stephen was the first martyr in the early church, the first one to be martyred, and you read about or you even actually even at times now see in news reports and and different accounts and find on YouTube, even today, modern-day martyrs, Jesus did not die like any of them how they have died either currently or have died in the past. Martyrs die with a song oftentimes on their lips. They die singing. They die testifying. They die worshiping. They die with a hope in their heart. They die with a sweet comfort of grace and mercy that comes to them by the Holy Spirit. It's not generated from within themselves. They are emptied in themselves, but they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They die with God's very real presence In their lives, they die with the comfort of God's grace. They die tasting heaven, just as Stephen did in Acts 7. You can write that down, Acts 7. You can read about how how Stephen died as he saw the, the heavens open and there was Jesus standing there to welcome him. Jesus' death was nothing like that. Absolutely nothing like that. Jesus died tasting hell. He died alone. He died as an unbeliever, a liar, a thief a gossip, a prostitute, a sexual predator, a cheat. He died with the wrath of God on him. No comforts, no grace, no mercy. He died forsaken. Now listen to this. No believer in Christ will ever, ever, ever die like that. But every unbeliever, whoever doesn't confess the name of the Lord, will die like that. This is amazing. This is transforming truth. I've been involved over the years that I've been in ministry, and I remember saying that just five years into ministry. But now, as I've been a a little longer in ministry, I can say over the years that I've been in ministry. I've been a part of a lot of funerals, in fact truth be known, um, maybe some of you just think I'm a little weird but I'd rather preach at a funeral than at a wedding, I'd rather do a funeral any day than, you know, don't hurry up and die any of you, I'm not really into doing any anytime soon but you know, I mean that's because you have an incredible opportunity to share the gospel, to share this truth and Being a pastor in a smaller town in in central Alberta gave me the opportunity because of the small town and because I was one of the only kind of on-site pastors that actually lived in town and didn't, you know, have multiple churches or different things like that as some of the other smaller churches did. Um, I was able to be a part of and, and, and actually was quite willing to be part of many funerals that happened to people in the community. Many of them sad, sad, sad stories. Many car accidents. People who were off to work or out with friends to have a good time, off to go shopping, off to go to an Oilers game, off to, you know, just just set out on vacation and all of a sudden their eternity began. I think of a baby that we had a funeral for who only lived for a few hours or a young boy who was upstairs in the house playing with his friend and they found the dad's shotgun under the bed and didn't realize it was loaded and the friend turned around and accidentally shot and killed his young friend and the devastation and the sadness and the grief that happens and and whether it's cancer or heart attacks or suicides have been a part of, of all of these and more and the grief and the sorrow the sadness that is so real in every one of these Usually at some point in the service, I find myself a basket case. I'm crying along with the family. I'm sad sometimes I don't even know the person. And and, and you just can't help but enter into the grief and into the sadness. But folks, it is so different. It is so different for when you know that the person who passed away had a relationship with Jesus Christ and that they are tasting the glories of heaven. Your sadness is different. The grief is totally, you can't compare it. I've had parents come to me in tears at the end of a service and say, please, please tell me that my child is in heaven. Please, I need to know. And, and there are times where I've just prayed and said, oh God, give me the words to say. I, because I don't know. I don't know. Just even a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, tomorrow, I was honored to be part of a funeral for a 63-year-old mother, grandmother, wife, wife. Friend who passed away from cancer. It was sad. Tears were flowing, but there was also a certain joy and a certain relief that that she's in heaven, that she is experiencing the glories of Jesus. Why? Because she has received this amazing grace, and that's why I was able to stand before the people amidst the sadness and 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 declare, "Precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of one of His saints." That's the glories that, that is waiting for us. The pleasure that God took in putting this agony on his son was for the accomplishment so that we could experience this grace. It wasn't in the suffering that God took His pleasure, but it was in the salvation that would come. Victory. We get to celebrate and party next Sunday. Verse 10, last part of it. it says, "When my soul makes an offering for the guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand." You say, "Well, I, well, I thought, thought Jesus was dead. I thought the suffering servant died. How, how can the suffering servant see his offspring? He was crushed, He was abandoned. He died. But we have good news. He's not dead. He is alive. Here is Isaiah's confession of the resurrection. This is Hebrew language for talking about the suffering servant who will enjoy a long life, who will see his offspring. He's alive. He lives to see his children, his grandchildren, his great, 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 and I don't know how many, great, 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 get to add on to that. Let's face it, most of us here in this room will live to see grandchildren. If you're fortunate, perhaps your great-grandchildren you're young and get an early start like Don and Marla Lee you might see your great-great-great-grandchildren you know and but beyond that that that's gonna be about it that would be miraculous to see your great-great-great-grandchildren my my grandparents lived to 106 104 and they just got into the great-great part they would have held on just a couple more years they would have got in the great-great-great part but it says here the suffering servant the lamb of God will see his offspring because he's alive the redeeming work was done and now he lives forever. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So what is the purpose of Christ's humiliation? Right across there, right beside there, right wherever you're writing this down, and I hope you're writing these things down. Right, the gospel. John three sixteen. write that down. The purpose of Christ's humiliation is the gospel. It's that he will live forever, that we will live forever. And it's available to all who believe, Ephesians 2, verses 5, and you just might want to write down this reference, Ephesians 2, 5, and and then you can just write, you know, uh, to, to verse 9, but you can even read beyond that. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespass, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in christ for by grace you have been saved through faith not of your own doing it is the gift of god not as a result of works so that no one can boast have you experienced this amazing grace are you his child today are you counted amongst his offspring are you one of those great, 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 great wherever it fits on there? One of his great, 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 great grandchildren. The only way is through Christ. The purpose of Christ's humiliation, our salvation, the gospel. John three, sixteen. The second thing we see here, the satisfaction of Christ's sacrifice. Verse 11, out of anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Now I'm sure that every one of you can probably think back as soon as I give you this little thought here, can think back to an assignment, to some sort of a um, project or a challenge or a test or, or something that you faced that, that when you were going into it, you were just so overwhelmed about, there's no way I could ever do it. Maybe it's a physical challenge maybe it's something at work maybe it was a school project or maybe it's something in life and 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 th- that you experience and you're just like there's no way i will make it through the next little bit and you work at it and you try and you give it your best and you sweat it out and there's blood and there's sweat and there's tears and and there's sleepless nights and there's all of this but then finally when it's all done it's like oh I think years ago just after starting in ministry and, and I had to go for my ordination oral interview. Before that I had papers to do and writing to do but then I would, would sit for an hour and a half in front of 12 of not my peers, of those who I have highly esteemed, pastors and, and college professors and, and, and 12 of these men who would quiz me for an hour and a half on my Bible knowledge and my theology and, and, and they took me down to this dungeon-like room in, in Regina, Saskatchewan at the district office and, and put me on this very uncomfortable office chair i think they did that just it was kind of like torture to even make it worse and 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 then they drilled me these questions and and leading up to that oh i'm telling you it was crazy i mean i was dating charlotte at the time hardly even had time for her she you know i mean it was just you know just just a a a crazy event and when it was done it was like yes although just prior to that i did find out that the guy who they interviewed before me was walking out in tears i said what's wrong man and and uh and he says i failed i'm like Oh, no, that, that dude's smart. And, and he failed, and, and I'm not smart like him. Oh, man, there's no way I'm going to find him. And then the interview was over. They said, Lutzer will phone you later on today. And, uh, and we didn't have cell phones, so I had to make sure I was parked by my parents' phone in, in case, you know, like just, just to hear the news. But when I heard that I passed and I made it, it was like, Woo-hoo! you know, the victory that came can all of you think of something like that in your life, something that you faced and experienced like that, some sort of a test, some sort of a challenge, some kind of thing that was so rogue? you have that in your mind? You say, yeah, you know." And the satisfaction and the victory. And you just did it. Now I'm going to ask you to take that and toss it aside because you know what? It means nothing. It means nothing compared to what Christ did for you and for me. Please don't be offended. I'm not trying to belittle your great accomplishment. But whatever heroic or amazing feat of accomplishment that we have done doesn't come even close to comparing to what Christ has done for us. In Christ, the greatest anguish brought forth the greatest satisfaction. I think we, do we have a, a slide of that? In Christ, the greatest anguish brought forth the greatest satisfaction. And Christ declared, it is finished on the cross. He announced the end of the sacrificial system that when you read through the book of Leviticus, when you read through what they needed to do in the Old Testament just to have right standing before God, it was, I mean, I don't know how they could could do that. You think of the blood of the animals that flowed continually from, from the altars for the forgiveness of their sins. And he declared, it is finished. He didn't declare, "I am finished." He said, "It is finished." His work is just beginning. His work of reconciling the world to God was beginning in the New Covenant. In Acts four twelve, Jesus. These are the words that that we have about Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men which by which we must be saved. It is in the name of Jesus. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What a promise. In Christ, the greatest anguish brought forth the greatest satisfaction, the salvation of our souls. Folks, we've got to let that sink in. That's amazing, amazing truth. But there's also a disturbing word here. I'd like you to look in your Bibles or at your phones, at your Bible on your phone. There's a disturbing word in verse 11. And then it appears again two times in verse 12. And you may want to circle it or underline it. Just There's significance here. It says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many. That's the peculiar word. That's the disturbing word in this passage. Make many to be accounted righteous. You see... You might want to write down in in your bibles or write down in your notes many does not mean all get that many does not mean all the many that are are those that have truly received the gospel who have given their heart to jesus christ i wish that it would say all that because of what christ has done it means everyone is saved i wish in my heart because that takes a big load and a big responsibility off of me But I'm not a universalist. I don't believe that all people will be saved because God's word doesn't teach it. God's word says that everyone must call upon the name of the Lord in order to be saved. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone. And so this word many does not mean all. It's all the many are those that have responded, who have heard, who have believed, who have not just said a prayer, but have accepted the work of Christ. Their life is being renewed, being transformed day by day by Christ. Not just, oh yeah, I was at summer camp, I prayed a prayer, and now I'm good. No, no, don't think that. There's ongoing transformation, there's ongoing change, and and a desire towards the things of God, and, and a desire to turn away from the sin and from the evil that is around us. Are you in the many? Are you in the many today? You've got to examine your own life. No one can do that for you. And if you are in the many, then you've been commissioned. Then you've been commissioned to go and tell the others so that the many can become the all, so that the all can become the many. We are to go out. Folks, that's why we exist. Believe it or not, and don't take offense to it, this is why you're still sucking air to either receive Christ or to go out, once you've received Christ, to go out and share Christ, to go out and make disciples. We're not here on this earth just for our own personal enjoyment. Just to get further ahead, make a name for ourselves, store up a little nest egg. I wrote that in my, my message this week and I'm like, what does nest egg even means? I don't know, maybe you know what it means. But well, we're not here to, to build up our own little nest egg or, or simply to live as good citizens in Canada. We're here to see the all become the many. That's why we plant churches. That's why we go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. That's why we share the good news. That's why we share our lives with unsaved people so they can come to Christ, so they can receive the free gift of salvation, a personal relationship with Christ. This is why we invite people into our lives. This is why we invite people to church. This is why we invite them to to our Easter events on Friday or on Sunday. Who are you inviting? You were all asked to bring... You're all given these, and I hope no one turned them down. If so, you've got to repent, and you've got to take at least two. Now now you can take four home, okay? If you don't have two of these in your possession right now, you're taking four of these home. Take four. Like, Let's clean them out. They're not going to do any good to us after today. So take these cards and invite. This isn't for, oh, yeah, to remind you to be on your fridge. It's to get out there and to share. Come and hear the gospel. Come and hear the best news that will change your life and change your eternity. This is the gospel. This is the truth that we are here on this earth to proclaim and to live. When it comes to our service for God, after what we have, considered, what we have seen Him do in our lives, when we understand this truth, there should be no such thing as a begrudging kind of submission, like, oh, okay, I guess I better serve the Lord. You know, If that's your attitude, if that's how you woke up today, you need to examine your heart. You need to look at Jesus and and be reminded again of his sacrifice, the extent that he went to for you, for this world. And it reorganizes our thoughts and our motivations. We don't serve him because we have to, because it looks good. We serve him because we want to. Because after what he has done for us, there's nothing, nothing that we wouldn't do for him. That's, Our response to him in his love who are you reaching who are you reaching out to with the gospel who has God placed in your life to share Christ with let's quit being the silent witness and get a little more vocal in our love in the words that we speak this is life-changing eternity changing news the satisfaction of Christ's sacrifice is there so that the many, so that the all can become the many. That's why we're going to be praying on Tuesday night. We're going to be praying specifically for the salvation of people around us, people in this region, people in our own lives. Already, I encourage you to come Tuesday night for a time of worship, a time of prayer. And we're going to give you the assignment of of, of having, encourage you to even come already, thinking of people who, who you are burdened for that they don't know Christ. And we're going to pray that those people over the next few weeks, months, maybe years, maybe decades it's going to take. Some Some are tough. And we're going to see them come to salvation in Christ, that we're going to do all that we can in showing them Christ. And finally, we see the reward. We see the rewards that, that await. Verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was like and was numbered with the transgressors yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors here in verse 12 we see military tech, terminology that is used look at that it says therefore i will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong i believe the king james version calls it the booty he will divide the booty with the strong we see the image here, Isaiah writes, of the conquering hero who has come back in victory. And he has come back with the spoils of victory. And he doesn't keep them to himself. say, look at what I did, look what I accomplished. No, he shares them with the strong. Who's the strong? The strong are the many. The strong are those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. You say, well, I'm not strong, I'm weak. Yeah, of course, on your own, you are weak so am I. I want to give into my flesh constantly, but through Christ, I am strong, even though I am weak. And so he divides the spoil with the strong. The strong are those who have put their trust in Christ. This is an amazing, amazing truth. He divides up the spoils. He divides them up with his children. Romans 8:17 reminds us that we have become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's mind-blowing. Everything he possesses we will possess one day in heaven. We may not have a lot here on this earth, and sometimes I'm convinced that having a lot here on this earth is more of a curse than a blessing. The more you have, the more it owns you. The more you're driven to get more. And that's dangerous. And that, that kind of teaching has even crept into the church. And we don't see that in, in God's word. And we've got to be so careful. But one day we will possess it all. Not only does he redeem us, but he treats us as if we did all the work with him. and When in fact, we did nothing except cause his pain and suffering. All the eternal glories of the new heaven and the new earth will be ours along with Christ. We were the cause of his death, and yet he shares with us the victory. He was numbered with the transgressors. That's you and me. He was hung between two thieves, two criminals. He was numbered with them so that they could be free. They had, and one did. One took him up. One took him up on the offer of salvation. One did not. And in the same way we can be forgiven, to heirs with Christ, this is amazing grace. And I ask you today, where are you at? Where are you at with all of this? Where are you at with Jesus? The gospel demands, it compels a response. Either it's yes or either it's I'm thinking about it or either it's a no. But basically if you're saying I'm, I'm thinking about it, that's dangerous, dangerous ground to be living in. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It isn't a, as I said, begrudging submission that, that is demanded of us. It's a, we are compelled after what Christ has done for us. This past Wednesday, our, our family, we got back from a, a weak little jet away to Cancun. And, and this was a picture we, we took just as we were, were leaving the resort and, and sadly returning back to to canada and to dry skin and to peeling sunburns and different things like that but we had had an amazing week and just shortly after and the reason why i put this picture because for me this was very significant is as we just finished snapping this picture all of a sudden it hit me that it was four years ago four years ago this the same week that we were leaving from our last family little destination holiday that we had taken and i think we have a picture of that you see everyone a little bit younger and 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 uh and, and that sort of thing, but we were just leaving from from a, a holiday in Florida where during that holiday, I received some very, very, very devastating news, very confusing news, and, and it would greatly alter and, and change our lives. And I remember there on leaving Florida four years ago, being very confused and frustrated, and... And even angry and wondering god why god why what what are you doing i don't understand all of this and and fear about god's provision and 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 should we move or, or what what should we do what what's my future what am i going to do now in for employment what am i going to do where, where are we going to move to what's god's plan in all of this and and as we came home god had many lessons he had much for us to learn he had much for me to learn personally and for us as a family, lessons in trusting his good hand in our lives. And what can I tell you? Four years later, God is faithful. God is good. God has a plan. Can you write that down? God is faithful. God is good. God has a plan. Come on, write it down. I'm serious. You need to remember this. Can you repeat it with me? God is faithful. God is good. God has a plan. Yesterday, I was texting a, just a, a, a godly young man who, in his early 20s, has just been devastated this week because of his engagement that he was head over heels excited about, was called off. And I was able to share with him and remind him God is faithful. God is good. God has a plan. Some of you received an email from John and Ethel Hager. They were part of things here, and they have, uh, in the last year or so, have moved up to Prince George to be closer to family, and Ethel has been battling cancer. And just a very honest and a, just a very real kind of play-by-play sort of event of the different things that have been happening with treatments and different things, and finding that there's movement into the liver and, and uh, of the cancer, and... and I couldn't help but read it. And I see the words throughout the email. God is good. And for Ethel, and for anyone else and what we're facing, what we're struggling with, God is faithful. God is good. God has a plan. And to see the trust that she has in God in her relationship with Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is good. God has a plan. How do we know? Where do we learn this from? Isaiah 53. What we've been talking about here today. God is good. God is faithful. God is good. God has a plan. As we see in Isaiah 53, God's good and perfect plan for his own son we see how he submitted in obedience to the will of the Father. And we see the outcome of that. He didn't fight it. He didn't resist it. He, he submitted and believed God is good. God is faithful. God has a plan. This is where you and I need to be landing with what's happened in our past, what we are currently going through, or the cup of suffering that is yet to come. Which it will in the world we live in today. All that's happening, the enemy being real and in, in wanting to see us down, discouraged on our on our backsides. We need to be aware that the the fight is on, that the enemy is real, and a cup of suffering may be coming to any one of us, and we don't know when. It may be a phone call that could drastically change our lives in the next week. Might be through the visit at a doctor's office. God is faithful, God is good, God has a plan. And so I ask you today, where are you at today? Have you made Jesus Christ the Savior of your life, of your soul? Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you? you understand what your sins have done and what your sins deserve? The wrath of God, to die as a criminal. But Christ has changed all of that. And as we trust Him and as we rely on Him, He exchanges. He exchanges our heart, our sinful heart for a heart of His righteousness. And don't play games, believer. Maybe you're lukewarm. Maybe today you've just been coasting. You've been getting distracted by worldly plans and worldly endeavors. How's your commitment to Him today? Your eyes on worldly things? distracted by worries and the cares of this world? Is there temptation? Are there idols in your life, things that that are becoming more important than God? Are there changes you need to make, steps of obedience that you need to follow through in? Is there forgiveness you need to extend? And maybe right now you're sitting here saying, God, I don't understand your ways. I don't understand your hand. But I'm gonna trust your heart, that your heart is that you are good, you are faithful, and you have a plan. Maybe you're sitting here and saying, I, I, I'm in deep trouble. I, I'm in trouble in life. Will you submit to the obedience of God's word in your life and follow through with what God's word says? It may, may, may mean making tough decisions and choices. Will you repent of your sin and confess your unbelief? I encourage you even now as we worship that this would be a song of worship. If you'd like to come for prayer or just to come in, in an attitude of prayer here to the front, come and do so. I'm going to ask the band to come at this time. And, and if you would like to be prayed for, if there's, or you just want to nail home, just like, hey, I'm in. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to believe that God is faithful. God is good. And God has a plan, even though right now it's hard. And you'd like somebody to pray with you for that, I encourage you to come. I'd love to pray for you while the song is being sung. Father in heaven, we come to you and we just worship you we praise you we thank you that you are faithful you are good and you have a plan and God we saw that demonstrated here in this passage in Isaiah over these last number of weeks may we submit just as Jesus submitted and say okay I'll I'll follow you through the good through the tough stuff and that's why we have the word of god guide us in all in all truth that's why we have the spirit of god working in and through us and transforming us and changing us but that's also why we have the body of christ brothers and sisters to walk with us pray with us stand with us encourage us and kick us we all need that may we follow you let's stand together as we worship and may this be a song of declaration come forward for prayer if you'd like